Welcome to the Inside the Life of Non-League Football podcast. On this episode, it's a special as I speak to Ben Watkiss, former coach at Burton Albion and head of sports science at Solihull Moors. We discuss his upbringing in football, what got him involved in the game. We also talk about the important issues of coming out, what that means to be gay in football and how we can also improve ourselves within football and society to make it less of a news story and way more acceptable among the football culture. Join me as I take on a three-part series of Inside the Life, LGBTQ plus in football. First of all, thank you very much for coming on. Inside the Life Non-League Football podcast is a special, um, so thank you very much for joining us. Obviously, it's uh, the month of Pride, um, and I just want to do a real few special episodes to talk to those LGBTQ plus that are involved in the game um, across all levels, and I just to get their stories and their thoughts, you know, yourselves' thoughts um, on football and how it is at the moment. And so, starting with yourself, if you can, and I found that you obviously you started out as a referee at level eight, uh, youth football, working your way up to county level and to level four. I mean, first of all, why do you want to be a referee? <laughs> That's a big question everyone asks. Um, initially I was at school and I was, uh, I think I was 15 when I started. Um, and my PE teacher that I had, a man called Steve Rushton, he was on the football league as a referee at the time. And, you know, you kind of go into his PE lessons, get talking to him about his game at the weekend. And like, at the time, teams like Newcastle and that were in the championship. And he was going there and refing in front of 30, 40,000. And, you know, if you like best seat in the house, what for a game of football and you, you're looking at him and you're thinking, he's just a normal person. He's got to that level. There's no reason why, you know, I couldn't get to that level if I go and have a go. Um, obviously, at the time as well, the appeal for a bit of pocket money, go out, referee a couple of games on the weekend, get 60, 70 quid was nice. Um, so I kind of did that and I just got into it. And I don't know quite what I got it actually got into it looking back because it's there's not a lot that's usually attractive about it from the outside looking in but there's like everyone I talk about the bug you get when you're effing and I ended up in it for about nine years I think it was in the end um and I only came out off the back of you know moving into professional football then as a coach so we've come into obviously the, the very important part of, of yourself coming out and when you go into professional football with say Burton Albion and but in terms of just refereeing, I'm obviously fascinated because it's like you say, it's the job that everyone mocks in a way. And why would you want to do it? You must be crazy. I mean, has there been any incidents that you've ever gone, oh, I shouldn't have got involved in this? Or has it mostly been quite quite enjoyable experience? It, I'd often think, what have I got myself into here? Either anyone that knows me will tell you that I've got, you know, I can't bite my tongue. And one of the things you need to do the most as a referee is bite your tongue. Mm. And I just couldn't do it. So, like, I'd have someone shout at me and I'd just lose my head for a split second, have a pop back. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, killed yourself here, Ben. You know, the, you're getting stick from left, right and centre because you've had a go at someone else. You're like, what have I done? I kind of lose the game then, really, would you say, when, you, when that happens? or A little bit, it can do. But then at the same time, you, you know, you end up refereeing the same teams and the same players quite a bit over the years. And, you know... <laughs> you get to build a relationship with people. So I suppose the longer you've been about, the more you get away with it because, you know, the players 
they're having you a bit more by then and mm-hmm. you've got a relationship with them so you can get away with more it was a freezing cold sunday in january we, we all don't want to be here so just keep it quiet for 90 is probably probably how it goes mostly didn't it um but yeah, you got into say your, your strength and conditioning coaching which you've been going to professional football spells at burton albion um i mean we'll start there i think just start there i mean what that's quite a career change. That's quite a different path you're looking to take. And what got you involved in that? Um, so right from when I was, you know, young, I wanted to be involved in football uh, in some capacity. I I knew early on I wasn't going to make it as a player. Um, obviously, I got into refereeing as a way of staying involved in football. Um, you know, I also knew that I wasn't going to be like a technical coach. Um so then it was looking at the options as, you know, what can I do? And obviously you've got, you've got the analysis route, you've got the physiotherapy route or the sports science route. And that was always what appealed to me. Um, so, but I was reluctant to go to university and, you know, 99 times out of 100 now for a job in sports science, you need a degree. So I kind of put it off a bit. Um, I didn't go to uni till I was about 22-ish, I think. Um, finally bit the bullet, went, and then just not looked back. I did a year at Birmingham uh, with the academy while I was still at uni, and I loved it. And just, you know, that just reinformed that this is the career that I wanted to pursue. Um, so, yeah, when I finished at uni, I then got into Burton. Uh, so it was just off the back of that first lockdown with COVID. Um so I knew uh, the fellow Chris Beersley, who was at Burton at the time as a fitness coach, um, dropped him a message. They were looking for someone to go in and do a bit. And that was it. I just got in there and then had about 18 months with them. So how, how was the experience? Obviously, they've been in the championship recently and over the last few years. And so Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank is still, we still at the helm. Um, did he take you on board and what was it like to be under him? Yeah, it was good. It, it was good. Obviously, yeah, you don't really, you kind of don't react to it as much at the time. So I was there initially under Jake Buxton, who started uh, last season in charge. He left just after Christmas, and that was when Jimmy came in. Um, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you don't really think about it too much. But then it's not until you kind of leave and you step back a bit, and you're like, wow, he's, you know, one of the Premier League's best ever strikers. Um, you know, top player, but it was... It was good. It was really good, you know, top character. He was always great to be around and great to work for. Um, and when he came in, he, you know, he performed miracles. Like we were we were struggling a bit where we were at the time. Um, you know, we were bottom of League One. He came in and he just managed to put together a real strong run of results. And obviously in the end, we stayed up comfortably. Was it just one of those, an opportunity coming up with the say, head of sports science at Solihull Moors? Is that what kind of... Put you to, to to leave Burton, or was that just some sort of other other decision? Yeah, it was from my point of view, from and from my development. Uh, you know, at the time at Burton, there was another fitness coach, so I was there. I was in like the number two role um, and assisting the fitness coach rather than leading stuff. And you know, I enjoyed the role and I loved the club and I loved working with the staff that was there and the players that were there. But from a development point of view, for myself. The Solihull role came up, um, you know, it was a chance to go in somewhere uh, at a real progressive club, uh, you know, if you, at an exciting time in their history, um, you know, pushing on, investing well, trying really trying to get into the Football League. It was just a good opportunity to go in there and, you know, take the lead of all the sports science departments. 
So for the listeners who um, don't know what sports science is and what it means, what, what would be a brief summary of what, what that position means at a football club? Basically, we're there to look after the players physically. Um, so on a day-to-day basis, that is we're leading warm-ups on the pitch, we're leading gym sessions, you know, um, do activation sessions before training, anything related to the physical status of the players uh, comes down to us. So, as you say, ultimately it's a case of getting them fit and ready to play on a Saturday, but also, you know, reducing the risk of injury by managing the training load, by, you know, giving them the appropriate training programmes in the gym, that kind of thing. Obviously, I'm being lured there by, obviously, they've got ambitions against the Football League and obviously unfortunate to to not get promoted on the promotion final. Um, is it true you, you've left in November? Is that right? So what, yeah. what, what you, is that another career change and what are you looking to do now or is it something that's not quite worked out as you expected? Yeah, it was just a case of, you know, I went in there around the September time. I had a couple of months there and it was, um, you know, around that time, it just, it wasn't a move that was looking like it was going to work for, for myself and for the club, you know, if you like for both parties. Um, so, so yeah, I left solid around the back end of November. It was. So, what are you going to get into now? Are you going to stick on the same path, or is it going to be something a bit different? Yeah, the aim is to stick in the same path. So, um, you know, at the moment, I've been out of football since then, but it's looking to get back in. Uh, but it's just right, waiting, obviously, for the right club and the right opportunity to come up. Cappuccino are proud to support and sponsor Inside the Life of Non League Football. Here at Cappuccino, we want to raise awareness and funds for mental health support through our passion for speciality coffee and a simple reminder that self-care is not selfish. Please check us out on Instagram when you get a chance and also if you're ever at a Didcot Town game and why wouldn't you want to be, you'll see us on the shirts as we're proud to be involved with the club as well. Thanks and enjoy the rest of this show. Obviously, we're talking now, moving slightly on, um, talk about obviously your, your time coming out. Um, just taking it slightly back to the refereeing aspect, how relieving was it to obviously fully be able to be yourself and express yourself amongst so fellow referees, players, and just football in general? Like, What was that? What does that feel like? It's very relieving. It's mm. very relieving. I think it's the kind of thing that, a lot of people and less have experienced it that don't fully understand, you know, if you like the weight you carry around on your shoulders when you you don't feel that you're able to be open about your sexuality. Um, so I think like most, I had a few stages in terms of coming out. So I initially came out to my friends. I was about 17-ish, I think, at the time. And I came out to some close friends and massive weight off your shoulders and you start to feel better about yourself. Um but then it was probably another couple of years until I came out more 
publicly and and to my family as well. Um, I think I was about 19. Um, and yeah, when you do come out and you are, if you like, fully open about it, it's just such a relief. Um, you know, you before you come out, you kind of, you can be reserved in social situations because there's this fear that something I might say or something I might do might, you know, give away that I'm gay. Um, and you've just always got your guard up, whereas, you know, you come out, you tell people, you're open about your sexuality, that guard's just down and you can, you know, almost live life without worrying about every word you say, every, you know, mannerism you might make, you might have, or uh, it's just such a relief. Well, this is great to you feel, you feel yourself and you can obviously express yourself how you want to and be you. I mean, it's just working out to ask this, really. I mean, do you think that's more a, a society issue? Well, obviously it is a society issue, but... You know, you want to feel comfortable. You're trying to hide yourself. You feel a bit introverted because of fears of how other people are going to judge you. And you know, is that a, how do we try and fix that problem? Getting of society there. and football, yeah. I do think it's getting there. You know, I think society as a whole now. If you go back to 10, 15, 20 plus years ago, it people are a lot more accepting towards it. Um, you know, like it was only you got. I think it was only 30, 40 years ago that it was. You know, it was really people to turn their nose up at gay people and be disgusted by it. And now that's very much the minority view. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's society's fully changed because it hasn't, but it's come a long way. Um, people are a lot more accepting, especially like the younger generation, I think. Um, and people, a lot of people now genuinely don't care what someone's sexuality is. Mm. Um Obviously, from a football sense, there's the perception that football still to catch up with that. From my experience, that isn't the case. And I think that, you know, football reflects society as a whole. I think while society is a lot more accepting of it, I believe that football's mirrored that. And from my experience, I've not had any issues at all with, with players that I've worked with, with coaches that I've worked with, you know, any fans. I think the only worry for people now, and which is probably still the thing that does stop any current players that are gay from coming out, uh, is the worry about the fans, because as with anything, there's always that minority. Mm. Um, and I just think that that's really the only thing at the moment that's holding it back, that small minority. And same with them, football and minorities of fans, I mean, well, not sure what club you support, of course, but I mean your, your average match day experience. I mean, how's that? Every match day has been, you know, perfectly fine. You felt comfortable. There's no interrogation of, you know, not on yourself, but you can you don't hear anything from other fan groups and feel well, that's disappointing. Not really anything at all. Personally, I haven't. Um, you you obviously hear you'll hear chance and stuff maybe uh, like that maybe yeah you'll hear throwaway comments from fans and it's like people are people are always numb to the meaning of you know homophobic slurs if you like and mm. i've got to hold my hands up because i've been guilty of the same it's you know if you describe something as oh that's gay or whatever it's you know people are numb to the meaning of it mm. and they don't I think the vast majority of the time it's people, if you like, aren't educated of what that might mean to someone else. Um, 
And but again, I think that's something that is changing. You know, I think in football grounds now, people are more uh, more open to calling out the wrong kind of language if they hear it. Um, and ultimately, I think that is what will, you know, bring society forward and continue to eradicate, you know, any any forms of homophobia like that because it's as people will become more educated and they'll be more understanding of what their words may mean to someone, you know, the, the number of occasions then of homophobic abuse, in my opinion, will start to go down. So there's been brilliant work with, you've worked with them yourselves, with Rainbow Laces and as a football against homophobia. Um, there's some fantastic groups out there doing really, really good work. And so you've worked with Rainbow Laces. I mean, tell us a bit more about the campaign and how you got involved with it and what effect, you know, both of you have had with each other. Yeah, so the campaign's obviously very good because anyone can get involved with it. And, you know, it's obviously at the back end of November, start of December, every season. And you'll see people from all different sports, at all different levels, you know, from around the, around a few countries that will get involved and wear rainbow laces to, if you like, show their support for the LGBT mm -hmm. community. Um, and as you say, anyone can get involved. So, you know, it makes it a big event and it can send more of a message in that sense. Um, for me, the good thing, it do, obviously, it's going to take more than a pair of rainbow laces to solve yeah. homophobia issues within football. Of course it is. But what it does is it starts conversations, like I've had conversations with players off the back of that, uh, you know, and it's about what can they do to, you know, to help football become more inclusive, that kind of thing. But I think that for, for people that, a lot of people within sport, especially in football, growing up gay, they don't feel that they can, come out and be open about the sexuality if they want to stay in football and it's this you know i can't be what i can't see mm -hmm. so they'll look up there's no gay footballers there's no gay coaches there's you know no one in football is gay i can't be gay and be involved in football um but i think you know players coaches referees when they go out for this two or three weeks they've got rainbow laces on it might just make somebody realize well hang on people you know, people do support it. People don't have an issue with it. If if these players are wearing rainbow laces and, you know, they've gone through the effort to put them in to show a bit of allyship, if you like, it might just make someone realise, well, yeah, football is a place for me. And it's a place for, obviously, in the last year or so, we've had obviously Jay Daniels of Blackpool, um, one of the most recent ones, so Josh Cavallo, um, the two referees in Scotland, Lloyd Wilson and Craig Napier, obviously these guys deciding it's time um, to come out publicly and you know obviously be active in the sport first time since Justin Fashionu 30 years ago I mean, we're talking about progress and society making progress and football mirroring that I mean how significant do you think is a step forward that is and say help fellow gay players and officials who maybe don't feel comfortable you know look around and say okay we now have idols we now have people to look up to great Exactly. I think it's massive. And, you know, I'm really big on visibility. And I think, you know, if you are, I think if you are openly gay within football, within sport, I think you've got a bit of, you know, a bit of a role to play in terms of just being visible and to show people that, you know, football is inclusive. Football isn't going to discriminate against you because you're, because you're gay, because you're, you know, transgender, because you're bisexual. Um, so, 
obviously, as you say, again, for people growing up, I think it's massive that there's people that are there and are in the spotlight and are visible to, you know, show that there's still a path for them if that's, you know, what they want to go down and that, you know, it just makes you feel so much more inclusive uh, and included. And so finally, really, on still on the same on the same subject, the same question is, is obviously is because it's not been the first time in thirty years. It is still um, it's in a news story, isn't it? As such, and, and it's obviously great that it's getting coverage and it needs to get coverage. But it, will it be a very good time when it when it isn't such a news story? It's just oh yeah, okay, cool, brilliant. That changes nothing. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's a shame that it has got to be a news story, but. As you say at the moment, just for that visibility and just for that representation, it at the moment it does have to be a new story, I think. Um, and I I get it when something like this comes out, when a player comes out, when a coach comes out, when when somebody's LGBT and they're talking about the sexuality, the the most common comment that you see is who cares? Who, mm. you know, why do we need to know about your sexuality? And if people genuinely think that and they genuinely think I'm only bothered about whether you can play football or not, brilliant respect to you because that's all that should matter. But the reason that people need to know at the moment is because there's so many people that feel that they can't be themselves just because they like football, you know, and it's, and that's why it does matter and why people, you know, at the moment do need to know if somebody is gay, in my opinion. Obviously, well done to those four coming out, and I'm sure they'll lead a pathway to see many more people being more comfortable and definitely getting more people involved, if anything, in the sport and getting involved like yourself. And obviously, hope you get back into what you want to do. Um, thank you, Ben, for coming on this evening. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and have a good evening. Thank you very much. Speak to you.